The following podcast contains strong language and adult themes and is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Behold the annals of pestilence. The stories you're about to hear are not real, though they contain elements of the truth. The tales herein might entertain you, cause you to smile, or perhaps cry, or something else entirely. Because this anthology of narratives, some of them connected, others less so, acts as a door to another realm. You are about to board an interdimensional cruise ship en route to comedy, tragedy, and unspeakable cosmic horror. This one-way journey is powered by existential dread and nervous laughter. Once boarded, there is no turning back. The stories you are about to hear are an infection, a narrative contagion, the word virus. Rock versus the Lizard People. Punk Rock versus the Lizard People is currently available in its unabridged entirety as a novel by Joshua S. Porter. Order the book today on Amazon.com. This story references songs available on playlists through Apple Music and Spotify by searching Punk Rock versus the Lizard People. The Historian. One. The lizard people are coming. For our purposes, and beginning with this transmission, you may refer to me as the historian. I have something important to tell you, so bear with me. To you, the listener, limited by your narrow 1987 vantage, the lizard people are an ordinary bit of otherworldliness. The people of Earth had been obsessed with alien life since the days of the hominids, an upright ape craning his fur-covered neck to the bright canopy of stars above him, long before the modern veil of atmospheric pollutants softened their glow. Yours is a world of Frank Herbert, of a princess of Mars, of Alf, a world of the pizza-stomping Noid. Thus, you have been appropriately desensitized to the commonplace fusion of alien life on Earth, Your widely accepted historical narrative describes the integration of human and alien life with a clinical synopsis, censored to the brink of unintelligibility. The average adolescent of 1987 will crack the weathered spine of his or her outdated and dishonest history book and will trudge through a story told and retold by their parents and grandparents since the first day that adolescent pointed at a lizard person with curiosity flickering in their supple brains. 
and that story goes something like this. In the winter of 1962, a group of Soviet scientists hauled the first interstellar radio message from the massive steel bulk of their archaic transmitting array, charged with the thrum of invisible energy one gray USSR winter. Nothing happened. On the second day of March 1972, an American space probe, christened Pioneer 10, became the first spacecraft to muster the soulless determination necessary to escape the steely bonds of our solar system. Fastened to the adventurous little probe was the Pioneer plaque, a metal plate showcasing two rudimentary human shapes etched in its aluminum surface. To the human's immediate left, a cryptic star map intended to provide any little green men who might confiscate the probe with decipherable directions back to Pioneer 10's fragile blue home world. Little Pioneer 10 went on his way, banked around Jupiter, and bid adieu to our solar system in December of 1973. Before our friend the Pioneer 10 could even appreciate its spacious first-class tour of the Milky Way, it was intercepted by the exact intelligent space life that Earth scientists secretly doubted it would ever find. Utilizing fancy-pants superluminal travel owed to a technological prowess light-years ahead of humanities, these curious aliens accepted the invitation of the Pioneer plaque, and our first visitors arrived on Earth the following year, November 28, 1974. Setting down in the obvious choice of global superpower, the United States of America. Hailing from the zen-like, peace-loving homeworld of Gaina, billions of years our senior, these interplanetary ambassadors empathized with the plight of our violent, polluted, war-torn Earth. They'd been there themselves, eons prior. Unlike us, the aliens had managed to rise above, They'd evolved. They'd corrected course. They worked things out. They could help us do the same. Of course, integrating what began as a small group of alien visitors into a mostly hostile, paranoid, xenophobic worldwide civilization was only step one in getting Earth from doomed status to enlightened status. Our small band of visitors became dozens, then a few thousand alien life forms arrived at Earth's doorstep. The other world governments assumed it was prime time to warm the nukes, what with space aliens hanging out at the White House and all. President Ford was understandably weirded out, a shivering wreck of a pinch-hitter president. But Jimmy Carter had time to wrap his head around the whole thing and just sort of embraced it. The aliens had their work cut out for them. Bridging the gap between mid-70s Earth and their futuristic society made Doc Brown's attempt to get Marty McFly out of the 50s look like a cakewalk. So things changed fast for us and slow for them. And the world settled into its rhythm of incremental leaps forward in technology and political science. Achievements that would have undoubtedly evaded humanity for decades, if not centuries, became ordinary, even dull. The whole alien shock value thing waned without fading altogether, like the spectral ghost of American racism, publicly reviled, privately nurtured. There were and are conspiracy theories ranging from the slightly unlikely to those close but off-base to the outright ludicrous. Like any celebrity or political leader, the aliens were critiqued, satirized, followed, worshipped, merchandised, studied, loathed, and adored. The 80s saw the first generation of adolescents for whom a world populated by both human and alien life was not only normal, but the only world they'd ever known. 
Imagine, though, the impression that the first group of alien ambassadors made on a reeling public in 1975. The first headline to report on our interstellar visitors read, The Lizard People Are Coming. Because that's what they looked like, lizard people. Wreathed in dark, monk-like robes, the visitors stood upright in recognizable humanoid shapes, carrying long, animated, prehensile tails behind them. Saurian scaled snouts, or beaks, peeked out from beneath each crimson cowl. Long, bony, clawed digits folded thoughtfully in front of them. Sociologists describe the phenomenon as patent blindness, a marriage of the surreal and expected so flummoxing that the human mind lurches in its cranial aquarium of cerebrospinal fluid. If someone asked a science fiction geek to illustrate that first headline, the lizard people are coming, without a single glimpse of the visitors that inspired it, they might have depicted the scene with relative accuracy. Eventually, we all just adjusted to the sight of the aliens among us, slightly taller than the tallest human, each limb a bit leaner and longer, the long iguana tails, the dinosaur-like and slightly avian heads. The hide of a lizard person was leathery on the back and shoulders, with raised scoots like alligator armor. The mottled green skin of their bodies pulled taut over their muscular dimensions. Eventually, we learned to refer to them by name, the Emi. The lizard people, or Emi, dressed in flowing robes, unisex gowns, or in gray bodysuits wired for haptic communication technology we earthlings have yet to unlock for ourselves. The suits, mapped like a circuit board with complex constellations and blinking lights, drew a predictable amount of satire. Did we really guess aliens this well? Because they look almost exactly like we suspected alien lizard people might look, especially if they stepped off the set of Tron. Any competent human citizen might learn any of this from their parents, popular culture, or grade school history. This is, of course, not the entire truth. Not by a long shot. And that brings me to a guy called Dale Russell. You've never heard of Dale Russell. Admit it. His voice was removed from the scientific community before it could ever find its way to popular culture. This is what we call a case of hitting the nail too close to the head. In 1982, Dale Russell conjectured something he called the dinosauroid thought experiment. After studying the fossil remains of Troodon, a dinosaur famous for having the largest known brain of any dinosaur group relative to their body mass, Dr. Russell wondered if Troodon had not been wiped out in the Cretaceous-Paleogene extinction event some 65 million years ago, might it have evolved into an intelligent being not wholly dissimilar to humans in body plan and intellectual capacity? Sounds wacky, but Russell noted a noteworthy and steady increase in Troodon's brain weight over geological time. Impressive, considering Troodon's beefy brain was already a whopping six times bigger than other dinosaurs to begin with. So, to put things plainly, imagine an Earth-like world on a similar evolutionary trajectory as our own home sweet home. The little single-celled guys turn into tadpoles, the tadpoles turn into the fishy things, and the fishy things eventually sprout legs and crawl up out of the primordial ooze. Some further science stuff happens, and you enter something like our Mesozoic era, an interval of geological time marked by the appearance and thriving of dinosaurs, the age of reptiles. 
Now, stay with me. Imagine this alternate Mesozoic era on some alternate life-sustaining planet not entirely unlike our own. Imagine that, unlike Earth's Mesozoic era, this alternate era wasn't drawn to a climactic close by the impact of a colossal asteroid that eventually wiped out some three-quarters of all plant and animal species on Earth. Instead, the dinosaurs go on thriving as the dominant species on the planet and, not unlike humanity's ancestral primates, ride the evolutionary train all the way to humanoid station, or in this case, dinosauroid station. If such an alternate Earth existed, Dr. Russell speculated, and if it had been ahead of the evolutionary curb, prime for life-developing conditions millions of years before our late-blooming Earth ever got there, well then, there could very well be an advanced society of dinosauroid alien life somewhere in the vast unreachable expanse of the universe. And indeed, if this hypothetical race of sentient dinosaurs, let's call them lizard people, were to exist, and if they were indeed so far beyond our technological timeline, they may well have unlocked secrets that humanity has only been able to theorize. Artificial intelligence, teleportation, cloning, wormholes, interstellar travel. It stands to reason, then, that if such a zany thing indeed had happened elsewhere in the universe, it would only be a matter of time before the aliens in question made their way to our humble little solar system and the only life-sustaining planet in it, especially he added, if we kept inviting them over. With this, Dale Russell must have smiled knowingly, looked at his watch, then sat back at his desk awaiting the inevitable knock at his door and the lizard people on the other side waiting to take him away. This man is on to us. to ensure proliferation of the word virus you can support our efforts via patreon.com slash the word virus lure others to infection by sharing the word virus via social media on twitter at the word virus and instagram at spread the word virus and at the word 